Hello, and welcome to the Christ Church Cathedral Podcast. This is the sermon from our past Sunday, recorded live from the cathedral. We hope these words will really speak to your heart and mind. I speak to you in the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Please be seated. It's a bit late to tell you, but I still haven't decided if I'm going to read this or just tell you what I wrote, what I usually do. (laughs) There's a few things I need to read, though, so... Um, I want to say a word about the second reading from 2 Timothy, um, the story of Paul. So somebody else is writing this letter, honoring Paul in his style. Uh, Paul is near the end of his life. His martyrdom is imminent, is what's going on. And the writer is saying that, you know, look at Paul. But we know he started as Saul. After his conversion, he became this incredible spreader of the gospel, Uh, teller of the good news, prolific writer, um, is why we have most of the New Testament. And using this uh, description and saying like, look, he's poured himself out, his life was poured out like a libation. And you know, I can always imagine like sort of olive oil rolling around and, and that was how he poured out his faith and his life to as many people as he possibly could. And that to him will come the crown of righteousness. So in those days, they would give a laurel wreath to somebody who, you know, ran the race and won, and, you know, a boxer who won the fight, and they would be honored in such a way. So these terms are quite familiar to the people of the day. So well done, Paul, a life well lived. Um, so I can't hear this reading without remembering one of life's most embarrassing moments, for me anyway. Um, Because many times in parish ministry, we're doing call to do funerals for people that we've never met. And I've met some lovely people after they've already died because of that. And so I'd gone to the funeral home, met with a family and uh, talked with the son of the deceased. And he told me the story of his dad that because he had been an alcoholic uh, all of his life, most of his life, uh, of the adults, the son, um, they had been estranged, but when the dad had gone into recovery, they had reunited, they'd had some wonderful time together, and then the dad had uh, been diagnosed with cancer, and that's, so now they've been kind of robbed of this extra time that they now were friends and could share life together, and now his dad had died. So that was some of the story of the struggle. So we planned the funeral, and as, you know, many clergy would do, they suggest, oh, there's a lovely reading from uh, 2 Timothy that talks about life struggles, and especially whether it's an illness or life's journey in general. You know, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. And um, you might like this reading. Yes, I like that reading. So we put it in the service. And then the day comes and they decided um, nobody wanted to speak, so I would do a eulogy slash homily to make it a bit personal. But when I got to the funeral home that day, uh, the son said one of dad's friends would like to say a few words. So I said, okay, I'll put that in, put it at the beginning. So anyway, the funeral director always, you know, they open the doors and they'll say, would you like everybody to stand? And I would say, no, like I feel too pompous with that. Not important now, but it'll 
be more pertinent a bit later. I just feel everybody's comfortable and seated. Why do they have to stand up just because I'm coming in the room? So I'll say, no, I'll just leave everybody seated. So I come in and, you know, I say, they say, we do the opening responses, and then that's where I would invite any eulogies to take place. So I invite Mr. So-and-so to come forward. Well, this funeral home has a chapel, you know, some are just more like a room, but this one was more like a, a chapel with wooden pews and everything. And a couple of steps up to a raised dais that had nothing in front of it and a wooden lectern like right on the precipice. And this man was an old friend of the deceased who was not in recovery. <laughs> and he leaned on the lectern and he gave his words to his friend and I didn't know if I was going to have to pull his coat and grab him back or what was going to happen. But anyway, he got through. We could just feel the tension in the room. that Everybody was hanging on every sway and word. And, you know, he, he did what he could and he sat down. And then, I, you know, I said a prayer and then I go, uh, I didn't bring the reading with me, but I have poured myself out as a libation. <laughs> like, why did I print the words in there? I could have just edited that first line out, but anyway, and I'm thinking, so the guys from the funeral home and the women to the, whoever the funeral director is, they always kind of close the doors, they go in the back room, they have a speaker, they're just listening for the cue. They go like, how long do you think he'll be? And you know, we'll come in and open the doors. So I've got this picture that they're all rolling on the floor, laughing their heads off, but Nobody in the funeral home, uh, in the service itself, seemed to have noticed, but I could have died a thousand deaths until I go, oh, I don't know if I'll ever pick that reading again, but if I do, I'll maybe just leave out that first line. So anyway, that's just sort of me, and it turns out afterwards, you know, it had gone right over their heads, nobody else had picked up that reference. Anyway, the gospel today is sort of a continuation from what Tim preached about last week, the beginning of this chapter. And so Luke continues to present parables about how you get into the kingdom of God, what's your ticket into the, the kingdom. So and Jesus tells this story uh, because probably right there around him, he's just seen this going on, that there are those who take a very legalistic approach to uh, living their lives to stay righteous, to stay on the right side of God and to not break any of the commandments. So as we know, there are 10 commandments, but um, to not break one of those 10 commandments, there were developed, I think it was 633 sort of tiny little laws that were all around other laws. So they needed Pharisees to interpret the law. So they were very busy. And in that society, uh, Tim mentioned this a few weeks ago about it being a very much honor and shame society. Um, different than how we might understand those words, it was about who could talk to who first, like a woman shouldn't talk to a man in public unless she was talked to, and if it wasn't somebody of your same social status, they could talk to each other, but if you were you know, a man of lower status, you don't talk to a man of higher status, and everybody knew all of these rules, regardless of the rules of the, um, the religious rules and laws. So the Pharisees were held in very high regard, and boy, didn't this chap know it, right? It had really gone to his head, his station in life. And um, this story is told, as many of the parables are, with a huge contrast. And I just feel in, in our day, we sit and we receive these sort of like flat words instead of like this incredible contrast that's meant to be there. 
So the Pharisee who's held in high regard, who would have fine clothing, be well-educated, and a lot of the people who were listening got that and thought that this was going to be the star of the story that Jesus was telling. And the tax collectors were abhorrent people um, because they were collaborators, if you like. They worked for the Romans and they collected the taxes for the Romans. <clears throat> so they were one of us, but they'd gone over to the other side to be the tax collector. And that, that was okay as long as they didn't do what many of them did. They took what the Romans wanted, but they also took extra, and that was going to go in their own back pocket. And that was even more so why they were despised. So again, the people listening to Jesus' parable were thinking that the tax collector was going to be no way in heaven was he ever going to get in. You know, like just never would he stand a chance. But the Pharisee, you know, had a golden key, could open the door himself and just walk right in. But as usual, everything gets flipped upside down, backside first, and that's not what Jesus said. So he's like, on the other hand, the tax collector will be the one who can enter the kingdom of God. So he's a sinner, he knows it, he's beating his chest, he won't even look up to heaven. Whereas the Pharisees say like, look at me, I fast two days a week and I tithe. Imagine if we stood up in church and prayed like that, but the, the other guys, beat in his chest and can't even look up. So who do you think God would prefer the person who gets it and knows that they need to repent? So Jesus explains that story. I don't think he heard when you said last week you're not supposed to explain the story, but he explained the story so the people would get it and be shocked and say like, no, no, it's not the Pharisee who's going to get into heaven uh, acting like this. So what had happened to the Pharisee? In society, we have people who are more learned than others, who make more money than others, who have status and position, sometimes taken, sometimes given by birthright, all these different things. And we need the roles that are played. But what we don't need is self-importance and arrogance. And, um, the pers and what the scripture tells us is this Pharisee trusted in himself, right? So how can you get it so right, but get it so wrong? Right? He was reading all the laws, knew them more than anybody. People came for advice, and yet somehow got beyond that to the point that he was then, you know, just full of himself, we would say. So, and in the kingdom, roles will be reversed. God receives those who turn to God and implore for mercy and rejects those who parade themselves of their own virtues. So... The point of us reading these stories and listening to these uh, scriptures is to then say, so what about me? Am I being arrogant? Am I being self-righteous? Am I trusting in my own self and my own virtues or am I trusting in God? And, um, and, and even then bigger than that, us as a congregation, as a diocese, as a parish, as a, in the community, uh, how are we in step with God? and trusting in God, or are we being self-reliant and a bit uh, righteous, self-righteous? So, funny thing happened on the way to the service today, because uh, obviously I preached at the earlier service, and then Tim was at the back and he said, oh, you're the preacher, I should be in front of you, and, and he traded places, and I said, I don't think you were listening when I was just preaching this morning. But here we have such a hierarchy, right? You know, if you come to an ordination, I used to be chaplain to the bishop, so I actually got to come in the very, very last. 
behind the bishop, um, carrying the bishop's crozier, and it wasn't because I was the most important, it was because if somebody was going to throw a knife, you were going to get that in your back, right? And <laughs> that's what Bishop Ralph told me. I don't know if I can believe him or not. <laughs> It'll all be lovely, Lynn. You just walk right behind me. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we are very hierarchical, and it's certainly, you know, it's things like that, you know, like, would you like everybody to stand when you enter the room, you know, those types of things. And um, anyway, we have to check ourselves about our own social status because we get this kind of credence, if you like, and uplifting based on, in our society, your, you know, the car you drive, the financial status you have, your, you know, how many letters after your name, those types of things. So I read a fabulous piece this week just by a, a reel that popped up, and you know how you can go down rabbit holes on the internet, but this was a good one. And um, so I saw um, this piece popped up, and it really turned my thinking upside down. I was thinking about this gospel and how to think of examples to relate how, for us today, we might have those things flipped. So I saw a picture of a guy I didn't really recognize, but it was Malcolm Gladwell. Do you know who he is? So he was born in England, but came to live in Canada as a journalist and an author, and he published seven books. Um, I think the first one was The Tipping Point, you might remember, and The Outliers. So anyways, um, you know, best-selling author. And he has this page, uh, he has a blog and different things he puts out. But anyway, the one I saw was on this page called OMG. So capital O with an H and a comma, and then MG, which are his initials, so OMG. If you want to find this fuller article, because I'm going to read a few clips from it, um, that's how you'll find it, the full script. Anyway, I, I just think he's nailed it. Um, to the places where we currently tend to rely on ourselves and where we might be being a bit like a Pharisee. So the title of this article was What I Found at a Mennonite Wedding. It's from this past summer. What really drew me to it was that there was a photograph of a church that I recognized. I was like, oh my goodness, that's on Highway 55 as you go into Niagara-on-the-Lake. It's in Virgil. It's a big Mennonite church. It looks like a castle, like a red brick castle there. So and then I, I went in and read the article. So his subtitle was, is, when a culture abandons the aggressive pursuit of status markers, the result is unexpectedly liberating. So this is now the words of Malcolm Gladwell. I went to a wedding this weekend back in my old hometown in southern Ontario. It was a lovely service on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. The reception was held on the lawn outside the church. The food was in large bowls along a long table and all of us lined up and we were served our lunch and then sat on the lawn for an afternoon picnic. This was a Mennonite wedding. Mennonites are a small evangelical community devoted to service, community and reconciliation. The people serving the meal Oh, wait, sorry. Which explains what I saw when I made my way to the top of the food line. The people serving the meal were the wedding party. The bride's father gave us our picnic basket. 
The bride's sister made the pulled pork sandwiches. The groom did the coleslaw. And at the end of the line, the bride, who had put an apron on over her wedding dress, served the mac and cheese. The receiving line was turned into a service line. Now he goes on to say, I have three thoughts about this. The first is a sociological observation. One of the core concepts in cross-cultural studies is power distance, which refers to the degree to which a culture values hierarchy. Places such as France and Saudi Arabia and Colombia have high power distance cultures. Authority in all of its manifestations matters a lot there. Places such as Australia and Israel are lower, low power distance cultures. A friend of mine who was the Middle East correspondent for a major newspaper once told me that he would sometimes call the Israeli prime minister's residence and the prime minister would pick up. That's low power distance. I guarantee you that the president of France does not answer his own phone. Mennonites are famously low power distance. I remember not long after we moved from England to the heavily Mennonite town where I grew up, my mother told me that from then on, my father would be known as Graham Gladwell, not Professor Gladwell. Mennonites don't do honorifics. I think we sometimes overlook how unexpectedly liberating it is when a culture abandons the aggressive pursuit of status markers. The relentless accumulation of awards, the fancy prefixes, the ostensible display of prestigious alma maters all get a bit exhausting in the end. And they only serve to drive a wedge between the haves and have-nots. Far better to call Professor Gladwell Graham. And far better, if you are a bride, to have as your chief concern whether an apron, an apron will fit over your wedding dress. His second thought, this is a very beautiful example of a scriptural notion made real. Those of you who know your New Testament will know of the passage from the Gospel of John, where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. When the disciples look at Jesus with astonishment, he says to them, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. What he meant was that the highest function of leadership is to set a standard of sacrifice and humility. Thus does the bride, on the day of her life, when she is central of all attention, put on an apron, and serve her guests mac and cheese. He goes on his third thought. Man, we could use a whole lot more of that these days. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Christ Church Cathedral. Audio editing and original theme by Eduardo Farias. We hope you join us again soon. Have a blessed day.